This program is brought to you by Bobbleway Media, under the oversight of the elders of the Chipman Road Congregation in Lee Summit, Missouri. You're listening to Opening the Scriptures with Don Boyd. Welcome to the program. This is Don Boyd. I want to welcome you to Opening the Scriptures. We're going to continue our studies in the book of Romans today. We're going to be looking in Romans chapter 3, and we'll see how far we get in that chapter. In Romans chapter 1, Paul discussed the sins of the Gentiles. In Romans chapter 2, Paul discussed the sins of the Jews. In Romans chapter 3, Paul affirms the universality of sin and begins to explain God's only remedy for sin. And we'll notice as we go through here that one of the biggest problems that the early church faced was the racism between the Jews and the Gentiles. First of all, we're going to look at Jewish objections that are answered, and that is Romans chapter 3, verses 1 through 20. You know, the Holy Spirit knew the Jews would object to the way that he had put the Jews and the Gentiles on the same plane regarding sin. So he had Paul answer the anticipated questions and answer them with logic and with scripture. The first question is Romans chapter 3 verse 1, and that is, what advantage then have the Jews? Romans 3.1 says, What advantage then hath the Jew, or what profit is there of circumcision? The word advantage there from the Greek word parisos, and this is Thayer's 1b definition, it says preeminence, superiority, advantage, more eminent, more remarkable, more excellent. And then the word profit from ophaleia, Thayer says it means usefulness, advantage, or profit. So from what Paul was saying then so far in the letter, why did God even choose Abraham's seed and make a covenant with them if the Jew is no different from the Gentile? Well, the answer is in verse 2 of Romans 3. The Jews had God's word, the law of Moses, Reveal to them. Paul states in Romans 3.2, Much every way, chiefly because that unto them were committed the oracles of God. So much every way, that means in many ways. The oracles of God again refers to the Old Testament, the law of Moses. And there was a great opportunity for the Jews because they had God's word committed to them. As we'll notice back there in Romans 3 verse 2, because that unto them were committed the oracles of God. The word committed from the Greek word pistuo, and this is Thayer's definition, to think to be true, to be persuaded of, to credit, place confidence in. So we will notice then you use that phrase place confidence in. It says in Romans 3, 2, because that unto them God placed the confidence of his oracles. So the Gentiles had the word of God. We know that from the patriarchal system. But specific laws, point by point, were given to the Jews. 
in Romans 3, 3, if the Jews were unfaithful and did not keep the law, did that mean that God would not keep his promises to them? Romans 3, 3. For what if some did not believe? Shall their unbelief make the faith of God without effect? So again, we have another objection here. Did the disobedience of the Jews cause God to cancel his promises? Well, in Romans chapter 3, verse 4, we see that what God says is true. He never lies. God forbid the beginning there of the verse, Romans 3, 4. God forbid, yea, let God be true, but every man a liar, as it is written, that thou mightest be justified in thy sayings and mightest overcome when thou art judged. That statement comes from Psalm 51, verse 4. Psalm 51, I'll leave your marker here in Romans, go to Psalm 51, verse 4. It says there, again, David speaking, Against thee, thee only, have I sinned, and done this evil in thy sight, that thou mightest be justified when thou speakest, and be clear when thou judgest. You see, human beings do lie. Human beings become unfaithful. But God never does. God is always right. God's word is always true. And God does not need anyone to believe it for it to be true. God is faithful and trustworthy, and he can be depended on to keep his word and to fulfill his promises. Over in the book of 1 Corinthians, now chapter 1, verse 9. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 9 says, God is faithful, by whom you were called unto the fellowship of his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. So God is faithful. In 2 Timothy chapter 2, look at verse 13. 2 Timothy 2, 13. It says, If we believe not, yet he abideth faithful, he cannot deny himself, again speaking of God. In Hebrews chapter 10, look at verse 23. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 23. says, For let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering, for he is faithful that promised. And then 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 19. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 19 says, Wherefore let them that suffer according to the will of God commit the keeping of their souls to him in well-doing as unto a faithful creator. So God is faithful to keep his promises. Now look back in the book of Romans chapter 3 verse 5 now. If a man sinned more and more, this is another objection, if a man sinned more and more, then wouldn't that cause God's righteousness to shine even brighter? Romans 3, 5 says, But if our unrighteousness commend the righteousness of God, what shall we say? 
is the right God is God righteous who taketh vengeance? I speak as a man. In other words, doesn't that really make God look good if we sin more? Well, does God's wrath against sin make him unrighteous? No. But then the rejection objection would be, well, should we not be praised then? Because that really makes God look good instead of being punished. Well, Paul answers that objection in Romans 3, 6. God could not judge the world if that statement we just made earlier was true. Romans 3, 6. God forbid, for then how shall God judge the world? You see, the objection that we looked at there in verse 5 was false, because even the Jews believed God would judge the world. And if the logical consequence of the question is false, then the objection is also false. In Romans 3, 7, the Jews were actually calling Paul's preaching a lie. Romans 3, 7. For if the truth of God hath more abounded through my lie unto his glory, why yet am I also judged as a sinner? So what is he saying? The Jews considered Christianity to be a lie. So they regarded Paul's teachings as a lie also. So, Paul is saying if his teachings were a lie or sin and would cause God's glory to be increased, and that's following the reasoning of verse 5, Paul should not be judged a sinner. Yet, that is what the Jews considered Paul, and they believed God would punish Paul for the lies he taught. Well, there were those who were slandering Paul's teachings, and that's Romans 3, verse 8. Romans 3, 8. It says, And not rather, as we be slanderously reported, and as some affirm that we say, Let us do evil that good may come, whose damnation is just. See, that's what they're saying that Paul is teaching. They're slanderously saying that about him, he says. The word slanderously from the Greek word blasphemeo. And Thayer says that means to speak reproachfully, rail at, revile, calumniate, blaspheme. And then he said these slanderers will receive their just condemnation. In Romans chapter 5 verse 20, says Paul did teach that God's grace abounded where more or more where sin abounded Romans 5:20 says moreover the law entered that the offense might abound but where sin abounded grace did much more abound and then in Romans chapter 6 verses 1 and 2 Paul never taught that we should sin so God's grace could abound now, it's not something that we must do to make God's grace abound. Again, Romans 6, 1 and 2. 
What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? So they're saying he's teaching things that he's not teaching. Now back in Romans chapter 3 then, are the Jews better than the Gentiles? Romans 3, 9. He says, what then? Are we better than they? No, in no wise. For we have before proved both Jews and Gentiles that they are all under sin. No, the Jews are not better than the Gentiles. No, even you look at races, no race is better than any other because both Jews and Gentiles are all under sin. Well, you know, most of the Jews thought they were better than the Gentiles. The Jews had greater privilege. They had greater opportunities. But when it came to being right with God, the Jews were no better than the Gentiles. And Paul reminded them that both Jews and Gentiles were all under sin. In John chapter 8, verse 34, John chapter 8, verse 34, it says there, Jesus answered them, and he's speaking to the Jews at this point, Verily, verily, I say unto you, whosoever committeth sin is the servant of sin. That would be Jew or Gentile. And, you know, Jews are those of the Israelite descendant there. Gentiles are everybody else in the world. In Romans chapter 1 now, verse 16, Romans chapter 1, verse 16, both Jews and the Gentiles face condemnation and are in desperate need of the gospel of Jesus Christ, Romans 1, 16. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Well, there are several quotations that Paul uses from the Old Testament. He uses these to drive home the point that he's been making all along about the sinfulness of mankind. And that's Romans 3, verses 10 through 18. First of all, we're going to look at verses 10 through 12. And we see there that all people sin when we reach an accountable age. Romans 3, 10 to 12. As it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. There is none that understandeth, there is none that seeketh after God. They are all gone out of the way, they are together become unprofitable. There is none that doeth good, no, not one. Well, that quotation, you, know, you go back to Psalm 14, verses 1 through 3. Psalm 14, verses 1 through 3. It says, The fool has said in his heart, There is no God. They are corrupt. They have done abominable works. There is none that doeth good. 
The Lord looked down from heaven upon the children of men to see if there were any that did understand and seek God. They're all gone aside. They are all together become filthy. There is none that doeth good, no, not one. And then also you look at Psalm 53, verses 1 through 3. Psalm 53, 1 through 3. It says, The fool has said in his heart, There is no God. Corrupt are they, and have done abominable iniquity. There is none that doeth good. God looked down from heaven upon the children of men to see if there were any that did understand, that did seek God. Every one of them has gone back. They are all together become filthy. There is none good, none that doeth good. No, not one. So again, these are passages that Paul has just quoted from. Righteousness in these verses means to keep the law perfectly without mistake. No one ever did that except Jesus Christ. It says there is none that understandeth, the Greek word sunaemi, or sunaemi. Thayer says that word means to set or bring together. They just they they don't bring it together, in other words. Most people will not put the pieces of God's word together by studying it to understand the truth of Christianity. And you know, in 2 Timothy 2.15, it says, Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Of course, the American standard there says, Give diligence. Well, we need to diligently study the Word of God so that we can handle God's Word correctly. In Hebrews chapter 5, look at verse 12. Hebrews chapter 5, verse 12. There it states that no one seeketh after God. You know, there's a level of maturity that is necessary for a person to seek God. Again, Hebrews 5.12. It says, For when for the time ye ought to be teachers, ye have need that one teach you again, which be the first principles of the oracles of God, and are become such as have need of milk and not of strong meat. In other words, they, they had that maturity, but they lost it because they became apathetic, or whatever, they had to be taught the first principles again. They needed the milk of the word. Now, we're to sincerely seek the milk of the word, but whenever we become mature, we need to get the strong meat of the word. It says they are all gone out of the way. That shows that people become sinners. And you'll notice it states they go out of the way. They are not born out of the way. So that's just another place that shows that we do not sin until we reach an accountable age. And then you notice also they become unprofitable. They are not born unprofitable. So again, another proof that people are not born in sin as according to Calvinism's total hereditary depravity. In Romans 3, verses 13 and 14, 
we see that the speech of most people is wicked. And all you got to do is look around and listen. That's, that's true. Romans 3, 13 and 14. It says, Their throat is an open sepulcher. With their tongues they have used deceit. The poison of asps is under their lips, whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Well, that quotation comes from Psalm 5, verse 9. Psalm chapter 5, or Psalm 5, verse 9. It says, For there is no faithfulness in their mouth. Their inward part is very wickedness. Their throat is an open sepulcher. They flatter with their tongue. We also find that in Psalm 10, verse 7. Psalm 10, 7. For there is no faithfulness in their mouth. Their inward part is very wickedness. Their throat is an open sepulcher. They flatter with their tongue. And then also look at Psalm 140, verse 3. Psalm 140, verse 3. They have sharpened their tongues like a serpent. Adder's poison is under their lips, Selah. The word Selah there means, think about it, meditate on what was just said. Well, our speech does reveal our heart. When you look at Matthew chapter 12, verses 34 and 35, Matthew 12, 34 and 35, Jesus stated, O generation of vipers, how can ye being evil speak good things? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. A good man out of the good treasure of the heart bringeth forth good things. And an evil man out of the evil treasure bringeth forth evil things. So our speech, what we say, reveals our heart. In Matthew 12, 36 and 37, we find there that our speech will determine our justification or our condemnation. Matthew 12, 36 to 37. Jesus said, But I say unto you that every idle word that men shall speak, they shall give account thereof in the day of judgment. For by thy words thou shalt be justified, and by thy words thou shalt be condemned. In Romans 3, verses 15 and 16, we see that most of man's ways are wicked. Romans 3, 15 and 16 says, Their feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are in their ways. Well, that is a quotation from Proverbs chapter 1, verse 16. Proverbs chapter 1, verse 16. That verse says, For their feet run to evil and make haste to shed blood. 
In Isaiah chapter 59, verses 7 and 8, we find also part of the quotation. Isaiah 59, verses 7 and 8. It says, Their feet run to evil, and they make haste to shed innocent blood. Their thoughts are thoughts of iniquity. Wasting and destruction are in their paths. The way of peace they know not. And there is no judgment of their going, or in their goings. They have made them crooked paths. Whosoever goeth therein shall not know peace. And back in Romans chapter 3, verse 17, we see that there was no peace between God and man. Romans 3, 17. And the way of peace have they not known. Well, that takes us back to Isaiah 59, verse 8. Isaiah 59, 8, the way of peace they know not. There is no judgment in their goings. They have made them crooked paths. Whosoever goeth therein shall not know peace. And then in Isaiah 48, <coughs> verse 22. Isaiah 48, 22. There is no peace, saith the Lord, unto the wicked. In Psalm 119, verse 165. Psalm 119, verse 165. <coughs> that verse says, Great peace have they which love thy law, and nothing shall offend them. So that's just the opposite. That's where peace is found. Those that love the law of God and those that love the law of God will keep his commandments, John 14, 15. <clears throat> Jesus is the one who brought peace between God and mankind. You go to Colossians chapter 1, verses 19 through 22. Colossians chapter 1, verses 19 through 22. It says, For it pleased the Father that in him should all fullness dwell. And having made peace through the blood of his cross, by him to reconcile all things unto himself, by him, I say, whether they be things in earth or things in heaven. And you that were sometimes alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now hath he reconciled in the body of his flesh through death to present you holy, unblameable, and unreprovable in his sight. So the death of Jesus Christ brought about the opportunity for peace between God and mankind. Well, back in Romans chapter 3, now verse 18, most of mankind does not fear God. Romans 3, 18 says there is no fear of God before their eyes. That takes us back to Psalm 36, verse 1. Psalm 36, verse 1. It says, The transgression of the wicked saith within my heart that there is no fear of God before his eyes. We find in 1 John chapter 5, verse 19, that the world lies in wickedness. 1 John 5, 19 says, And we know that they are of God, and the whole world 
lieth in wickedness. And you just look around us. That's the way the world is. That's the way the world always has been and always will be. In Genesis chapter 20, verse 11, Genesis chapter 20, verse 11, we find that Abraham was afraid when he went to Gerar because the fear of God was not there. Genesis 20:11 says, And Abraham said, Because I thought, Surely the fear of God is not in this place, and they will slay me for my wife's sake. In Ecclesiastes chapter 12, verse 13, Ecclesiastes chapter 12, verse 13, it is our whole being to fear God. It says, let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. You notice duty is there in italics. That means it was added by the translator. So let's read it without that word. Let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole of man. That is our entire being, our responsibility to fear God and obey Him. In Hebrews chapter 10, verses 1 through 4. Hebrews chapter 10, verses 1 through 4. We find that both Jews and Gentiles sinned and had no means for obtaining forgiveness without a Savior. Again, Hebrews 10, 1 through 4. says, For the law, that being the law of Moses, having a shadow of good things to come and not the very image of the things, can never, with those sacrifices which they offered year by year, continually make the comers thereunto perfect. Verse 2. For then would they not have ceased to be offered because that the worshipers once purged should have had no more conscience of sins. But in those sacrifices, there is a remembrance made again, uh, a remembrance again made of sins every year. And he's talking about the Day of Atonement there, verse 4. For it is not possible that the blood of bulls and goats should take away sins. Well, in all of these quotations that we've looked at, Paul is proving from the Jews' scriptures that all people, including themselves, the Jews, are sinners because they violate God's will. In Romans 3.19, Romans 3.19, Paul comments on the multitude of charges he brought against the Jews. That verse says, Now we know that what things soever the law saith, it saith to them who are under the law, that every mouth may be stopped, and all the world may become guilty before God. You know, the law was given to the Jews, they were amenable to it, and they were guilty of breaking it. The phrase, every mouth may be stopped, Frosso is the Greek word. Thayer says frosso means to fence in, block up, stop up, close up, to put to silence. So no one can contradict or prove or disprove 
the accusations Paul made against both Jew and Gentile, they can't prove those things to be false, those accusations. Mankind is hopeless and helpless for salvation without Christ. And then back in Romans 3.20, it just states there, the law, the law of Moses, cannot save anyone. Romans 3.20 says, Therefore, by the deeds of the law, there shall no flesh be justified in his sight. For by the law is the knowledge of sin. In Galatians chapter 2, verse 16, Galatians 2.16, it says, Knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by the faith of Jesus Christ. Even we have believed in Jesus Christ that we might be justified by the faith of Christ and not by the works of the law. For by the works of the law shall no flesh be justified. You see, the law lets us know what's right and wrong. You flip over to Romans chapter 7, verse 7. Romans 7, 7, it says, What shall we say then? Is the law sin? God forbid. Nay, I had not known sin, but by the law, for I had not known lust, except the law had said, Thou shalt not covet. Well, the law, both patriarchal and mosaic, condemn. They condemn. But they cannot justify. Law cannot justify. The word justified there from the Greek word dikaiao, Strong says means to render, show our regard as just or innocent. The only way to escape the punishment required by law is to be pardoned. And that's what Paul is going to talk about next there in Romans chapter 3 verses 21 to 31 and that's the way of righteousness. In Romans 3:21 we see the link between the Old and New Testaments, Romans 3.21. But now the righteousness of God without the law is manifest, being witnessed by the law and the prophets. So he's saying there, but now, that first word there, that indicates a change in what Paul is discussing. So having established that no law can provide justification, Paul is now going to tell that now in the gospel dispensation, God's plan of righteousness is set forth. In Romans 1, again, verses 16 and 17, Paul says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For therein, that's in the gospel, is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. You know, the law and the prophets told of the coming of the Messiah. Go to Deuteronomy chapter 18 and look at verse 15. Deuteronomy 18, 15. It says, Moses speaking there, the Lord thy God will raise up unto thee a prophet from the midst of thee and of thy brethren like unto me. Unto him ye shall hearken. And then you go to Acts chapter 7, verse 37. 
Acts 37, in Stephen's sermon there, he says, This is that Moses, which said unto the children of Israel, A prophet shall the Lord your God raise up unto you of your brethren like unto me, him shall ye hear. And then in Luke 24, verses 44 through 47, here after his resurrection, Jesus stated this, Luke 24, 44 to 47. And he said unto them, These are the words which I spake unto you while I was yet with you, that all things must be fulfilled, which were written in the law of Moses and in the prophets and in the Psalms concerning me. Then opened he their understanding that they might understand the scriptures and said unto them, Thus it is written, and thus it behooved Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day, and that repentance and remission of sin should be preached in his name among all nations beginning at Jerusalem. So the Old Testament and the New Testament, they're not complete without each other. As Brother Robert Taylor stated, and I quote, the Old Testament is the New Testament concealed. The New Testament is the Old Testament revealed, unquote. In Romans 3.22, we see the plan by which you can be made righteous is only through Jesus Christ, Romans 3.22. Even the righteousness of God, which is by faith of Jesus Christ unto all and upon all them that believe, for there is no difference. The word by there, by faith of Jesus Christ, is the Greek word dia. Strong says that is a primary or preposition denoting the channel of an act through. So the faith of Jesus Christ refers to the faith system, the gospel, not the personal faith of Jesus. Only obedient believers are made righteous by the gospel and both Jew and Gentile need the gospel and their obedience to it for salvation. In Romans 3.23, we find there is no difference between Jew and Gentile because all have sinned, Romans 3.23. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Sin is a transgression of the law, 1 John 3.4. 1 John 3, 4 states, Whosoever committeth sin transgresseth also the law, for sin is the transgression of the law, and all have transgressed God's law. The word sin there from the Greek word harmartano, Strong says, properly means to miss the mark, and so not to share in the prize. That is, figuratively to err, especially morally to sin. And then the phrase fall short there, they come short of the glory of God. That uh, comes short there from hystereo. Thayer says means to be left behind in a race and so fail to reach the goal, to fall short of the end. In Romans 3.24, we see God's plan for our justification is free. To us, Romans 3.24, but being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. So he has offered justification freely to us. There are things we have to do to access it, though.
Well, justified, dikaio again, to render or show regard as just or innocent, and then to have redemption, apolatrosis. Thayer says that word means a releasing affected by payment of ransom. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 19 and 20, 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20, Paul asked the question, What? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost which is in you, which you have of God, and you're not your own? For you're bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. And justification and redemption are found only in Christ Jesus. Romans 6, verses 3 and 4. Romans 6, 3 and 4 state, Know ye not that so many of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into his death? Therefore, or because of that, we are buried with him by baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. So again, justification and redemption are found only in Jesus Christ, and the only way to get into Christ is baptism. Galatians 3:26 and 27 state that also. Galatians 3:26 and 27 says, For ye are all the children of God by faith in Jesus Christ. For as many of you as have been baptized into Christ have put on Christ. In Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 through 10, Ephesians 2, 8 through 10, God provided salvation by his grace through our obedient faith. Ephesians 2, 8 to 10. It says, For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. That's the free gift there. Verse 9, not of works, lest any man should boast. There is no way we can work ourselves into heaven. Verse 10, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. So we are his workmanship. We're created in Christ Jesus. And how do we get into Christ Jesus? That's through baptism unto good works. Baptism is a good work that we have to do. Faith is a good work that we have to do. And all the other things that God has commanded us to do, those good works that he has ordained that we should walk in them. In Romans chapter 5, look at verses 1 and 2. This is how we access God's grace. Romans 5, 1 and 2. Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ by whom also we have access by faith into this grace, wherein we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. So our obedient faith is how we access God's grace. And of course, God does require obedient faith. Jesus simply stated in John 14:15, if you love me, keep my commandments. In other words, if you want to prove your love, if you want to show your love, if you want me to know you love me, you obey me. In Galatians chapter 5, look at verse 6. Galatians chapter 5, verse 6. says, For in Jesus Christ, there we go again, in Jesus Christ, 
neither circumcision availeth anything nor uncircumcision, but notice this, but faith which worketh by love. So our faith must work. In 2 Thessalonians 1, verses 7 through 9, 2 Thessalonians 1, 7 through 9, Paul wrote this, And unto you who are troubled, rest with us, when the Lord Jesus shall be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels, in flaming fire, taking vengeance on them that know not God, and that obey not the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ who shall be punished with the everlasting destruction, with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power. In Hebrews chapter 5, verses 8 and 9. Hebrews 5, 8 and 9. Though he were a son, yet learned he obedience by the things which he suffered. And being made perfect, he became the author of eternal salvation unto all them that obey him. There's that obedience again. And back in Romans chapter 3, we're going to look at verse 25 now. God sent Jesus to be the propitiation for us. Romans 3, 25. Whom God has set forth to be a propitiation through faith in his blood, to declare his righteousness for the remission of sins that are passed through the forbearance of God. Now he set forth, that is the Greek word, Protothemi. There says it means to set forth, to be looked at, exposed to view. And then propitiation, helasterion. It means an expiatory place or thing that is, concretely, an atoning victim, or specifically the lid of the ark in the temple. So Christ is our atoning victim. And an expiatory there in that definition, that's the act of atoning for sin or wrongdoing. So a propitiation, Jesus satisfies the demands of the law and appeases the wrath of God. In Romans 6, 3 and 4, we find again the blood of Christ has the power to wash away our sins when we obey the demands of the gospel. Romans 6, 3 and 4 again. Know ye not that so many of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into his death. Therefore we are buried with him by baptism into death that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. And then as Ananias told Saul of Tarsus in Acts 22:16, And now why tarriest thou? Arise and be baptized and wash away thy sins, calling on the name of the Lord. In Colossians chapter 2, verse 12, we see the power is not in the water, but it is in the blood, which is applied by God when we are scripturally baptized. Colossians 2:12 says, Buried with him in baptism, wherein also ye are risen with him through the faith of the operation of God, who hath raised him from the dead. God does the work in baptism. In 1 John 1, 7 through 9, that blood of Jesus continues to wash away the sins of the child of God as long as we continue to walk in the light. 1 John 1, 7 through 9. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, We have fellowship 
one with another, and the blood of Jesus Christ his Son cleanseth us from all sin. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And then in Romans 3.26, we see that Jesus' sacrifice on the cross served another important purpose, and that is it declares God's righteousness. Romans 3.26. To declare, I say, at this time, his righteousness, that he might be just and the justifier of him which believeth in Jesus. So God overlooked, he passed over the sins committed by those that were faithful to him in the patriarchal age and the Mosaic age as he looked forward to the coming sacrifice of the Messiah. In Acts 14, 16, Paul states, who in time past suffered all nations to walk in their own ways, and yet in Acts 17, 30, Paul wrote, The times of this ignorance God winked at, but now commandeth all men everywhere to repent. So in other words, God did not force nations to serve him. He allowed them to do as he wanted, as they wanted, but he will destroy all in hell who do not repent. So the sacrifice of Jesus proved that God was just and right in passing over the sins among his servants in the Old Testament and is just and right to forgive faithful Christians in the New Testament age. In Romans 3.27, neither Jews nor Gentiles have any right to boast. Romans 3.27, where is boasting then? It is excluded. By what law? Of works? Nay, but by the law of faith. Well, the law of works refers to the law of Moses. The word boasting there is the Greek word kalchasis, which means the act of glorying. That's Thayer's definition. It said it is excluded, ekleo. Thayer says that means to shut out, to turn out of doors. So God's plan to redeem mankind by the sacrifice of Jesus excludes all human boasting and glorying. And the Jews would ask, by what law? And Paul answered, not by the law of works, but by the law of faith. James 2.10 says, For whosoever shall keep the whole law and yet offend in one point, he is guilty of all. So if you offend in one point, you are guilty as a transgressor. And the law of faith, that's the gospel which teaches us we must obey God to have salvation, Matthew 7:21. Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. And in Romans 3:28, the conclusion of all that Paul has written up to this point, law-keeping cannot, law-keeping alone, will not save anyone. Romans 3.28 Therefore we conclude that man is justified by faith without the deeds of the law. Now, the law, not the law that Martin Luther added, because he added the word only after faith to his version. Therefore we conclude that a man is justified by faith only without the deeds of the law. That's a lie. 
That is false teaching. The Holy Spirit has a different view than Martin Luther had. In James 2.26, James wrote, For as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead also. And Jesus called faith itself a work in John 6.29. Jesus answered and said unto them, This is the work of God, that ye believe on him whom he has sent. And the deeds or the works of the law are that which cannot justify anyone, as we saw in Romans 3.20. Therefore, by the deeds of the law, there shall no flesh be justified in his sight, for by the law is the knowledge of sin. And then in Romans 3.29, Paul restates what he's already proven. God is the God of all mankind. Is he the God of the Jews only? Is he not also of the Gentiles? Yes, of the Gentiles also. Solomon understood that when he dedicated the temple. In 1 Kings 8, 41 to 43, 1 Kings 8, 41 to 43, Solomon stated, Moreover, concerning a stranger that is not of thy people Israel, but cometh out of a far country for thy name's sake, for they shall hear of thy great name, and of thy strong hand, and of thy stretched out arm, when he shall come and pray toward this house. Hear thou in heaven thy dwelling place, and do according to all that the stranger calleth to thee for, that all people of the earth may know that thy name or may know thy name, to fear thee as do thy people Israel, and that they may know that this house which I have builded is called by thy name. All right, we're running out of time today, so we're going to stop right there with Romans three twenty nine. And Lord willing, we'll go ahead and start in Romans 3.30 next time and then get on into Romans chapter 4. So again, this is Don Boyd. I want to thank you for tuning in to be with us today and I look forward to being with you next time. When you're in Moody, Missouri, you're invited to visit the Moody Church of Christ located on Highway E in Moody, Missouri. The congregation there meets on Sunday morning at 10 a.m. for Bible class, 11 a.m. for worship, and then again at 6 p.m. for Sunday evening worship. They also meet at 6 p.m. on Wednesday night for Bible study. We thank you for listening today. We hope you enjoyed this program. You can find out more about Bible Way Media by visiting our website, BibleWayMedia.org. You can find all of our podcasts on all major podcast platforms. As always, we thank you for listening.